Welcome to the Art and Life Podcast with your host, Taylor Gallegos. Art exists all around us, in all directions, from all walks of life. We just need to know how to see it. The Art and Life Podcast is an experiment in an audio format that focuses on the art and philosophy involved with different people and their life paths. This experiment is intended to inspire you in your creative pursuits, whatever they may be. Follow along as I interview movers and shakers from all walks of life. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, craft, or vision. These interviews showcase that fact. Listen while you work. Listen while you create. Listen while you dream up the next big breakthrough. First off, I want to say thank you for listening. The people being interviewed and I are two parts of the podcast, but it wouldn't be complete without you, the listener. I very much appreciate your attention and your energy, and I hope you get as much out of this as I do. If you enjoy what you hear, you can join me on this artistic journey in many ways. You can subscribe to the show, leave a review, and share it around. You can join the conversation on the Art and Life Facebook group, where we discuss topics from the shows. You can join my email list on my website at taylorgallegosart.com on the contact page. And while you're there, check out the new artwork I've been creating. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at taylorgallegosart. And finally, you can support my art and the Art and Life podcast on my Patreon page. Just search Taylor Gallegos Art. So again, a deep and sincere thank you for being here. Now, on to the good stuff. Welcome everybody to the podcast. I'm your host, TG in the house, and today with me is a very special guest who I'm about to introduce to you. This gentleman and I went to college together. We have had loads of fun throughout time and space, and uh, yeah, he's awesome. He's got a very wonderful, artistic, creative mind, as well as philosophical and thoughtful, and so you get to hear a little bit of that here on the podcast. And uh, yeah, there's three parts to this particular episode. There's part one and part two, which I'm doing now this season two. And then there's a little part three. And that was actually from a recording that he and I did uh, this time last year in the spring of 2020. And there was this, we didn't end up airing it because there was some editing stuff that needed to happen that didn't quite work out right. And it just wasn't quite perfect. But I clipped this one part because uh, I wanted you to hear it because it's really, I think it's really special and it shows a lot of courage and um, yeah, I wanted you to hear it. So stay tuned all the way through because it just keeps on getting better. So without further ado, Mr. Justin Ackerman. Welcome art friends and family to the podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos, and with me today is a very dear friend of mine. Even though I like to give him shit, he's one of the best ones ever. Uh, so with me today is Mr. Justin Ackerman. Justin, thanks for being on the show. Hey, no problem. 
Good to see you. You as well. As always. Oh, as always. It is, it is. Um, so why don't you, well, this is a funny sort of a situation here because you and I recorded a podcast episode last season, but there were some technical elements to it that I was, uh, it was kind of above my pay grade at that point. And I like to complicate things, I think. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, You're welcome. Bro. Um, <laughs> so it never aired. And uh, so then we're getting back to it now. Um, and so everybody's, and I think I'm going to play the whole episode. I'm, and now I figured out how to do what I need to do. I'm going to play that as a version two of this episode. But for now, why don't you start out by telling everybody who you are, where you're from, what it is you do, and how you got to where you're at. Yeah. Uh, uh, <clears throat> well, my name is Justin Ackerman. I, uh, I am fr originally from Colorado, uh, Steamboat Springs, a little ski town. I uh, now live in LA. I, by way of San Francisco, I lived in San Francisco for 13 years before I moved down here kind of for work. Um, and I'm easing into life here, uh, hoping that COVID wraps shortly so that I can get to know Southern California, a little bit more outside of it. Um, and I work for an automotive company. I'm, uh, but I, I have a background in architecture and design and landscape architecture. Um, and so I work, work sort of in-house for this company uh, right now, which is pretty cool. So that's like really brief. That is, that is really brief. And that, but that's good because we're going to, you dove into a lot of the details in the next episode, so uh, or in the previous episode. It was such a good interview, too. It was cool. I listened to it yesterday to catch up and then, um, you know, prepare for this one. And there's a lot of really cool stuff there. And, and we actually recorded it, I think it was in like April or May of last year. So it was like in the middle of COVID time. And uh, it was interesting going back and listening to where we were at at that point. Yeah, that was really, I mean, I had been alone, I think, in my apartment for probably two months at that point in time. Like, I had maybe seen another human being, like, in the flesh in, like, like maybe once or twice, like, distanced. So it was a weird time. What a weird, especially because you are an extremely social human being. Yeah. At least you, yeah. you were you you were in the past. I don't know. Like has yes. you changed? Do you feel like no? <laughs> I mean, uh, it's definitely like a huge part of who I am. You know, definitely like being around people. It's almost like to a fault. I feel like sometimes you know, I, FOMO is like was a real part of how I lived and like. But it's interesting. I was on a ride this morning and like I was thinking about. Um, like now that like it's been a year since I think I think today was I was skiing in Utah last year like on this day and, like all the resorts shut down and we were like trying to figure out how to get back to California and um, anyway so it's been a full year but like I feel like we've all learned a lot and I feel like it's great because I've really become a little more comfortable with you know, keeping myself busy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. good. I think it's a, a, an amazing lesson for everybody to learn. Uh -huh. It's like how to just be with themselves. 
-hmm. Huge. And it was not easy. And it was stressful. I mean, it's weird too, because I even think about like how hard it was at the beginning and how stressful and like weird and and like uncertain everything was. And um, but like there's like a, almost like a nostalgia for like like um, I don't know, I have a little bit of a uh, like I look back on it, I guess, kind of fondly, like it was super stressful and horrible at the time. But now looking back, it's almost like, huh, like it was an, it was a nice time to sort of reset some, some things. And yeah, totally. I think I, I think like I was able to take advantage of that time, which is, which is great. Um, yeah. There are a lot of little silver linings to the whole experience and and it, it kind of like any challenging situation if you lean into it with a growth mindset with like trying to look at the positives of situations then you can find little nooks and crannies that are good and and I, I mean I think everybody whether they wanted to or not has grown from the experience and if you really yeah. dove into that then it was an opportunity to really grow a lot yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> I mean, not great, it was terrible, but I did like learn, learn a good, good deal. Um, <laughs> so why don't you dive into what it is you do? Because you're uh -huh. an artist as an architect. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I, my, I'm not technically licensed, so legally, I don't think I can call myself an architect, but I, I, you know, work, um, in-house for this company that is actually really great. It's a new car company and they're really trying to kind of change the way mobility, uh, the way that kind of people look at mobility, like it, it right now, you know, they're starting with these electric vehicles, but I think the ultimate goal and the future of the company is actually rethinking that. And, and we just signed a climate pledge, um, uh, I think a month or so ago. And so we are trying to convert, like, um, build out these new factories. And so that's sort of what I'm doing. I'm working with some con outside consultants to, to, um, help realize them, but we're trying to like uh, actually build these buildings car carbon neutral. So they're um, so really, uh, it's, it's really challenging. It's never, I don't think been done. I think I, I haven't found a precedent for it yet. So it's really interesting. I feel like we're, we're starting to pave new ground. I mean, manufacturing is a huge energy suck. And so um, we're trying to rethink how how it works and and how architecture can potentially influence it so it's an exciting company to work for because i don't think uh i've ever actually worked for somebody with these sort of lofty sustainable goals to like try and change the world and work for a company that actually has the potential the capital and like the drive to actually do it you know a lot of people i think talk about it but we're we're actually trying to make these these really solid moves forward 
um, also with these intense timelines. So it's pretty crazy. That's but awesome. yeah, it's cool. And when you say art, like I think, you know, I, I've always gotten, been really inspired by beautiful space and like the experience of being in it, you know? And I think what's interesting about this company too and what they're challenging us as designers to do is take that, that approach of sustainability and this idea of carbon neutrality and really marry it with beautiful design. So, which, which also I don't think happens that often. I think it's, it's pretty rare. And so um, it's challenging, but, but super cool. Totally, and I think it's neat how if you, if you set parameters for a project, for an idea, a concept, a painting, whatever, then it's like you create these buffer zones that you won't go out of, um, but then you can also set up desired goals within that. And what might sound completely insane or undoable or whatever, impossible, can actually, like you can start to like find ways to wiggle things into place where it actually works. And, and then you end up having this thing that's like, wait, nobody thought that that was possible to have something be like sustainable and cool looking and all these things. And really it, it all starts with setting up those parameters and your intentions from the beginning. Yeah, totally. And, and part of that is like, I think getting everybody on the same page, you know, like within this company, like we're not just an architecture firm that's consulting with a company where we're getting programmatic, like information from them to, to build the building um, from like program information. Um, we're developing that in-house. So part of that is kind of working with all these different teams. So like, I mean, this company has put together like some of the best minds, I feel like in all of their respective industries. And so we're working with like manufacturing engineers, you know, who typically come at a problem from a very different perspective than we would. And our, um, you know, so they have a different set of parameters and bumpers, I think sort of what you're talking about than we would. And so one of our like, um, our one of our executive VPs was like sat me down and ran through the process one day and he was like, you know, the magic is going to happen when, you know, because I I'm always like, oh, I have a dumb question, you know, I have this dumb question, like, you know, because I don't know that much about manufacturing and he's like, there's never a dumb question. He's like, that's where the magic happens. It's like where you can ask those dumb questions, you know, quote, quote unquote, of manufacturing, and they can ask the same about design and, and you guys can really come together. So right now as a company, we're like, like my boss is running these exercises on like these visioning exercises to get everybody sort of aligned. And so that like manufacturing, engineering, design, facilities, construction, just so that we're all kind of moving toward the same goals. And so then our sort of guardrails or bumpers start to kind of align, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. So we're all kind of working outside of our own boxes, which is, which is intense and yeah, but cool, really cool. Really cool. I'm picturing like a Venn diagram, you know, and you, and every, you know, you got manufacturing, you got the environmental side, you got all the different sides and those are all like bubbles and they are all overlapping. And then there's that one little zone where they all overlap perfectly mm -hmm. and like that's where the idea sits yeah and when you guys work together when everybody like works together with the same vision or, or like the same overall intention 
and then their own individual needs and desires for the situation. As long as everybody's like respectful with each other, then you can get like the, such cool like dynamic concepts. And that's where like original ideas come out of is yeah. like putting all these things together and then like seeing how they stack up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I think also like everybody being respectful, but also like there's going to be tension, you know, because I mean, you know, I'm going to ask questions and challenge maybe the way that a manufacturing line would typically be built for efficiency purposes, you know, um, which would, you know, hopefully spark some thoughts and they would do the same about design. And so I think, you know, I think a lot comes out of that tension too. Um, and when you say Venn diagram, like I think last time I talked about this idea of edge condition, which always has been like this, like really fascinating part of like an ecosystem or even design, you know, like, uh, like people, you know, in a plaza space will typically not occupy the center, you know, they'll occupy the edges. I mean, in, in like where the forest meets the meadow, that's sort of the most dynamic and most diverse part of the landscape. And so I think like where that overlap happens and that Venn diagram becomes this like really rich, um, beautiful area. And so we're trying to like highlight that in these facilities too, you know, and, and make it so it's not just another place where we're building cars because the world doesn't sort of need another manufacturing facility, but it's a place where people can come and learn about like these new processes or, you know, we can start to potentially influence future facilities. Yeah. Set a precedent. Yeah, totally. And it, it makes me think about, I mean, it sounds like you guys are just thinking about the whole system as like with a holistic approach and all of the different parts of the body are talking to each other and expressing needs, pain points, challenges. And then from there, like the entire system is more healthy and it works together. And I'm like, yeah. it seems like the whole building is almost like a living organism with all these totally. systems and parts that are doing their thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, when you talk about logistics and manuf and the flow of manufacturing, like over the last year, I've only been here a year and a half. And before that, I had no interest in cars, no interest in like the automotive industry, you know, um, <clears throat> and like really have been able to lean into it in the last year and learn a lot about that process. But it is this really complex, like dynamic thing that's super interesting. And I think like it, uh, it is like a living organism, you know, I mean, there's inputs and outputs, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, it's, it's really interesting. And I think, I think, like, it's just fascinating, in general, I think everybody had, you know, has some kind of, would be interested in seeing it, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Totally. Do you feel like you look at the world differently? Like when you're out on the street and cars drive by, do you look at a car differently? Um, I mean, maybe a little bit. I still am not like a crazy car guy. I don't know if I, I ever will be, but like uh, it is, it's like the amount of work that goes into like the design. Yeah, I guess I do actually. Like, I mean, 
these guys who designed the cars that we're going to be manufacturing have literally been working on these for like 10 years, you know, and there's so much that goes into the design, the thought, the engineering, and then just of the car itself. And then the design and engineering of the lines and how to produce it and how to manufacture it. It's, it's really, really insane how much work goes into it. Um, so yeah, I think I do look at it a lot differently and um, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I feel like once you get into something like that, like you, you just kind of never can look at something the same. Like uh, I'm thinking of surfing when surfing is <laughs> great. Yeah. And like uh, once you learn, there's like, there's so many things, you, you learn how dynamic a system is, you know, like what makes waves the way that they are is like, the wind, the swell direction, the swell size, the in length of time in between the waves and then all these different things. And now, like, once you learn those things, you can't look at a wave the same ever again. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally, completely. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, especially like, I mean, the way that we have been, I mean, every time I go to the plant, I could learn something new. I mean, I have so much to still learn about manufacturing and the process there that I think I probably should, you know? Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's hyper complex and very interesting, but yeah. Yeah. And then you take that and then you apply it to like every single thing that we look at that is man-made has been designed by somebody and that design was built on the design that was existed before it and there's this like long history and like now they're being made by machines but before that they were being made, being made by like handmade tools and you know onto like advertising and billboards and digital media and all its shapes and forms like every single thing has been designed by somebody mm -hmm. Like, influenced like I mean even before working at a car company like work I worked for a very little bit in an urban design firm and um I mean to that like cars in general just the shape and you know how fast they go all of that has sort of influenced I guess how cities are designed and how we interact with each other and how we walk around the city and how our city blocks are structured and how our lots are structured you know what I mean like that that one piece has influenced sort of every every aspect of our our lives actually which is kind of interesting and early on working here like I talked with the CEO like he did a presentation for us and he he's talked he talked about um like the future of mobility and and how it could shift and change and it's it's interesting because i think we talked about this last time too but how it could have an impact on sort of that daily life in the city um by just shifting the way that we think about it the way that we our relationship with cars um you know totally totally like redesigning things that are more user friendly for everybody involved yeah i mean even going to like an automated system like would make traffic so much more efficient so we wouldn't need as many lanes so we could use you know use some of that streetscape as public space and you know i mean 
like a shared car system. So not everybody has their own, you know, like you, you only use your car of such a small percentage of its lifespan, you know, like there's no reason that each individual should have their own kind of thing. Um, it's interesting. Well, and what, what all this is bringing up for me is the concept of give and take and push and pull and like the negotiation between opposing like needs and desires and forces in terms of designing anything like designing designing a city street like you you want space for the cars but you also want space for the pedestrians and you also want space for the cyclists and so every and if you have if you go like a foot more for the cyclists that's taking away a foot from somewhere so then you have to figure out where that's going to happen and it's like all design is trying to like you've got your parameters and then you've got to try to like extract as much value as, out of that situation as possible and how are you going to do that yeah i mean it's uh, yeah i mean it's interesting too because like from des design and architecture you know what i mean like you you have all these parameters, you know, you have parameters with like your site constraints, city requirements, like setbacks, easements, you that you all have to like build within. And then you have your programmatic constraints, which is like you want to fit as much as you can into a space. And then you have um, schedule and budget. You know, there's so much to balance. I worked on a project like my last job I had when I lived in San Francisco, I worked for a small architecture firm and we were doing this little boutique hotel and like we fit so much into that building that like you, there's almost a balance that you have to have also because I feel like we lost a little bit of design, you know, like when you're just trying to maximize as much as you can and squeeze everything in, you, you lose a bit of that like finesse and and interest, it just becomes a box really, you know? Um, so I think there's a balance there too with like how close do you get to that line and how far do you push it? You know, I, like with, to your point, like with street design, like you could, yeah, you could maximize lanes for cars and, and bike lanes and pedestrian, but then like you don't have any of these buffer spaces that, that really break apart that that space. So it just becomes a wide concrete aisle with a bunch of lanes, you know, but you have to weigh like, okay, do we need this much? Like if we, you know, if we eliminate this lane and add a buffer in there or widen the sidewalks, like slow traffic down, it becomes a better pedestrian experience. You know what I mean? So like, like, I guess you're weighing benefits with those constraints too. And like, um, it's never like an easy solution, I guess. No, someone's always going to be losing out on something in the situation, mm -hmm. but it comes down to like the intention of the project and like weighing, yeah, weighing out like, what's the most important thing here? I mean, like with a city where people are walking around, there's gonna be a lot of people that's definitely high on the list. and the amount of like the speed that you get through it in a car is not as high on that 
importance scale? Yeah, I mean, you would think, but like, I think a lot of times it's about, you know, there's a lot of like people's first instinct is like, oh, that's going to slow me down on my commute. You know what I mean? Like, or that's going to be, you know, like they don't see the benefit in it. It typically takes like a while for people to understand that it's like, to understand what they're getting out of it. I feel like, you know, the, the sort of experience, but, but yeah, I think a lot of cities, I think they're starting to, and they have in the last decade or so, maybe two decades, like seeing that public space as a benefit. But before that, it was really car centric, you know, how quickly can we get cars through? How many can we get through? Um, yeah. Like don't slow them down. It's cool. This part of what we're talking about, it brings up to mind the word elegance. And like elegance is this word that I've been sort of playing with of the, like the definition. Sometimes words rattle around in my head for a while and like the definition, like the true essence of a word, like what does it really mean and what does it feel like and look like? And like elegance is a really cool word because it can be applied to like, I'm thinking like a beautiful dress that someone's wearing, or it can be applied to a mathematical equation or a city design or a painting or whatever. It's like, it seems like elegance, for me, the definition that I am settling on is like the best route through all the problems that connects all the dots in the simplest way. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I just quickly like looked it up just to look at the definition because I feel like I always like to start there, you know, like the baseline, but like, yeah, I mean. So what is it? It The quality of being pleasing and genius and simple neatness, which that's like the second definition. The first one is the quality of being graceful and stylish in appearance or manner. But I like, I definitely like the second one and it's exactly what you were just talking about, which is like, clarity, um, um, neatness, quality, kind of all wrapped up. Um, and I like I the word like, graceful in there too. What's that? I like the word graceful in there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like there's, a, there's like a, an aesthetic element to it that is like just as important as like the neatness and the clean answer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think a lot of times though like good design and I say that loosely I guess because I think it's really subjective and everybody has their own interpretation of what good design is but to me it is that clarity and neatness and really like when you are able to 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 express that and, and have that as a key part of your design, I think it, it just naturally sort of becomes a graceful sort of piece, you know, uh, a, a beautiful and appealing kind of um, element, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, there's, it seems like the sweet spot of, uh, you know, quote unquote, good design of anything is that that little like Goldilocks zone that feels warm and cozy for all the different elements. 
from like getting as much into the situation as possible, but also not cluttering and yeah. like having it be utilitarian in effect, but also having like a great overall design. And like, there's always this like interplay between opposites that when they're all set up in the middle zone and, they, and it works for everybody and everything, yeah. where like the elegant range is. Yeah, but I mean, also like, I don't know, I, so I just moved to Culver City, I moved to the west side, and so I, I used to ride, do this daily ride up into Griffith Park, which was beautiful in my mind, and elegant, you know, it's like natural, like landscape, you get a great view of the city, it's beautiful, and this, this might be really lame but uh then I now my ride is up I ride up through Bel Air like through UCLA and I see the homes up there and somebody obviously thinks that those like a lot of those homes are like just these like insane opulent like like neoclassical like gargantuan it's just and it, like reading blogs and, you know, seeing like random articles about like these huge homes and, and design in general, like there is so much variation and there's so much like that people think is beautiful. And I mean, and elegant. And I mean, that sweet spot that you're talking about, it's very specific. I feel like to maybe you, you know what I mean? Or, and me probably, I feel like we probably share the same, but like, not everybody like it's and design is so so weird I think like sometimes I wonder like what the point is because I'm like 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 I could think that I do a great job and and uh have a great eye and am a talented designer and do great work but there's somebody out there that does not feel the same way you know what I mean like um a hundred percent like a lot 100%. of people probably well, and it comes down to your intention and your perspective and your like where you're coming from with it. Like I would imagine that while the people that are living in these neoclassical gigantic, gigantic homes, while one thing they're saying, they're calling it elegant, but I think it's probably a different definition of elegant yeah. what I'm thinking, but also their intention might not just be to like have a good design that's utilitarian and beautiful and have the sweet spot. Their intention might be to show how much money they have and like express true. like what what's their true intention with this home? Is it to yeah. like check all the boxes of like making their life work or is it like I want to have a huge house? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it's interesting, but from a, like a design, like the designer's perspective, like to me, that kind of design is sort of easy. You know, there's not a lot of, and I don't know, I could, it, it probably, it's definitely not easy. Like building a house and architecture is never an easy thing, but I feel like it's, there's less sort of thought and philosophy put into it, I guess, you know what I mean? It's, it's almost like just, but it is kind of artwork in its own right, I guess, also, you know? Um, it, it also could be, I mean, I hear where you're going with that and you're, you're giving credit to situations that are not easy for just like the average Joe, but yeah. for somebody who is like a, a lifetime architect and designs houses, like there's a different thing between 
trying to make the best work of your life and following a template that has totally. done over again and is just like checking the boxes for what makes a big house that's god you know gaudy in this way and that and then yeah and boom making it adding gold leaf in everywhere and yeah like there's a lot of things yeah <laughs> yep exactly throw some gold on it and then it'll yeah <laughs> i mean there's a lot of like like in the art world i know in painting there's a lot of these little hacks that you can do that will make a good painting quote unquote you know it'll make it a good painting but that doesn't necessarily push the limit in terms of the artist's skill, craft, you know, like finding that sweet spot of the edge condition that is like mm -hmm. really going to like create that dynamic tension. That dynamic tension is like where, where the energy just like vibrates between two different polar opposites. And, and that's what's like, that's what I feel like when you see it, it's like arresting, like, holy <laughs> shit, what is happening right there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think I feel like those moments and those individuals that are able to kind of find that sweet spot and build that tension, they're the ones that are like really paving new ground. When you said that, like I was thinking like, uh, like in my head just about like, you know, what, like there's all these different movements in history, right, that art and architecture typically align on, you know. Um, like the Renaissance, there's the modernist move, like the early modernist mid-century, there's like the, um, and then there's like postmodern. you know? I don't know what we're in right now, <laughs> but uh, all of those movements, yeah, all of those movements, they were never about recreating and building off a template, right? They were about like reimagining and, and creating tension. Um, uh, from what has historically been done, you know? I mean, even the Renaissance was a little bit of like a copy paste from, I feel like, antiquity, like from like Greek and Roman architecture, but like they were still taking it to this other level and they had like a really thoughtful approach to it. And then you think about postmodernism took Real that. On, on that, oh, yeah. on the Renaissance movement in terms of art and architecture, it was like getting back to the, like the ideals and the ethics and the, the viewpoints of like Greek culture and civilization. But in between that was the dark ages yeah. where everything oh. got took over by early Christianity and then like the Christianity that exists in, in Europe during like from basically zero until 1400. And at that point, they had a completely different mindset of like this earthly experience does not matter. What matters is the afterlife. So everything is dedicated to the afterlife. So artwork that's, you know, showing what's going on right now in, in, in life doesn't matter like that what matters is the afterlife so it, everything became kind of like a cartoon of reality and so then during the renaissance they started like focusing back in on like what does a human figure actually look like mm -hmm. it's like it's cool how like there are these like recurring themes that get brought back but it's be it becomes necessary because the theme that people are in completely gets away from it and then you like come back to these like ideals which is so cool 
I yeah, I like I've always wanted to like dive so deep into it. Like I don't some of my favorite classes were like architectural history, art history, you know. I mean like it it's so interesting and and it's so interesting how they align and how they align across the world and how they like culturally they are like um uh I forget I can't think of the word I'm thinking of but they you know like they, it's cross-cultural and uh it's like politically driven almost you know it's almost like um yeah no it definitely is like who's in charge and what they're saying is like the way to go the way to think like every architectural artistic musical every movement really starts with like an an aesthetic ideal or like a moral compass of like this is what's important to us and then from that decision that's like the backbone that everything else gets built off of and like okay like what is yeah yeah, it's not only like I think dictated by whoever's in charge, but it's also like politically motivated in the sense that it's almost like a a protest against what is being dictated. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you think about modernism, I feel like it was like a really big like fuck you to like sort of traditional classic approaches to life, really, I feel like in a lot of ways well and and a lot and the way that like the life cycle of a movement is that at first it's a brand new idea and it's rebelling against the last idea and then it builds steam and it builds momentum everybody gets in on it and then it becomes the establishment and then at that point if you're doing that then you're actually part of the establishment so then like yeah. the art thing to do is to question the establishment and so yeah that's like, like what got you there in the first place is actually the thing that is like the antithesis of what got you there in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, re a rejection. Like art making art is always sort of a revolt against what is or has been or, or like a rethinking of, yeah and what's crazy is I see that in art now you know but I don't see and maybe I'm just not exposed to it and I'm sure there's an architectural movement out there that I just don't completely know about but that's aligning with some of the art that's happening now because there's a lot you know I mean there's so much going on in the world with like um just equity like in general and I think there's a lot of artwork that's sort of highlighting that and really uh but I don't know if I'm seeing it in a like major architectural movement yeah yeah it'll be cool to see I mean architecture does take a little bit longer to to happen like art someone can have an idea and then a painting's ready a week later um or an hour later but then architecture has to go through all these processes. So it's definitely a little bit longer. It'll be cool to see like. Yeah, and I guess that's not totally true. I mean, maybe it's less stylistic and more programmatic. So it's like more about like creating space, like the way that we're looking at a lot of these manufacturing facilities is like not only creating the space for like building the cars, which is number one, like we have to make money and support that but also like creating a space that's 
positive for the employees, where they enjoy coming to work, where we're treating them well, where they're eating well, where they're, you know, they're, they have access to natural light, to plants, which like, you know, and like, they're not living in literal cages. Like I think a lot of manufacturing facilities are, you know, from a security standpoint, we're trying to rethink some of those, like, you know, instead of just putting up a gate with barbed wire where you're walking through a uh, turnstile, we're, we're going to start thinking about like, how can we do that without putting up a fence, you know? And um, so like, maybe, maybe it is, uh, maybe it is, yeah, less stylistic and it's like, it is programmatically driven. So really trying to create space for people that doesn't impact the environment as much. I feel like that's definitely a major movement right now. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a national and international global conversation that's happening in tons of different fields. So it's gonna, this is gonna be such a wild time to look back on from you know, like in 20 years and see like, what the actual results were and like who stands out. Yeah. I mean, even just thinking about the impact of COVID on the, on public space, like the, what I was gonna say also is like with these factories, we're looking at creating like a magnet where people can come, like, like creating community around them, creating public space. And I, I feel like that's been a movement over the last decade, but with COVID, like, moving to Culver here, like on the street here, a lot of the retail, a lot of the street life is dying, like public space. I'm curious to see what impact that has on design and architecture and cities in general. You know, I feel like it's, I feel like it's gonna have an impact. Um, and like people not going back to work, that's all gonna be, have a crazy impact on design. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah, totally. What a wild world we are in. You know, I feel like I'm already looking back on the last year, like what just happened? Like, yeah. Like it's starting to like open back up and like, uh, which is weird, you know, but um, like people are getting vaccinated. So, but it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be weird when it does go back to normal and you're like, what did we just live through? Yeah. What just happened? Yeah. Yep. Oh, uh, well, are you ready for the question section in part one? Sure. Okay. All right. Uh, first question. These are new questions, except for one of them. But we'll see if you have a new answer for it. But anyway, first question is, uh, what was a breakthrough moment for you in terms of the life that you're leading now? So I'm thinking like, what was the catalyzing moment where you like realized that you go, you can make a life doing what you do? Cause I remember when like we were in college together, a lot of times you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing with my, my world. I have no idea which way I'm going. And then you got into the landscape architecture program and then, you know, you started like really having fun with projects and then um, there must have been a point where you were like, oh, okay, like this is me, like this is where I'm going. I don't know, because I feel like I like personally jump around a lot. I have historically 
you know, I, I mean, I, I worked for two years after, after undergrad, went to grad school. Then since then, I've been trying to figure out like where I belong. And I do feel like this is where I belong. But even I day to day here, I'm kind of like, what's next? Like, I don't know if it's my personality, like to, um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I do feel like when I zoom out though, and I have moments, like I, I think I probably had a realization about where I'm at right now and the type of work that I'm doing probably a year ago where I was like, wow, this is amazing and perfect. And I cannot believe I'm doing this. You know what I mean? Um, but honestly, I, day to day is like, what am I doing? <laughs> Sometimes, you know what I mean? I'm like, this is crazy. Like it, I, you know, there's, there's like your, the idea of what you're doing, you know what I mean? Which is really incredible and amazing. Like when I'm able to zoom out, I'm like, holy shit, like so thankful, so amazed, you know? But then when you're in it, sometimes you're like, oh, like, wow, like why, why, <laughs> why do I care about this? And why am I doing this, you know? Uh, like those specific little tasks, you know? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I've ever had that like epiphany of like, yeah, this is. This is it. I've made it. I'm going to that direction. Yeah. All right. All right. Fair enough. Um, okay. So then we talked about flow state. And uh, this question is, what is, your, what, did, what is one favorite moment? from your life that pops up in the memory of being in flow state? You remind me what flow state is. Yeah, so flow state is like being in the zone. It's when you're not thinking, you're just being. Um, like it happens in with athletes, you know, when they're just like, they're just doing their thing and everything's going smoothly. It happens with artists in different ways. Um, yeah like your mind sort of your your thoughts sort of change shape from being more like analyzation to just like flow i mean i honestly think like the only way for me to get there is when i'm working out really hard when i'm on my bike probably like i think from a design perspective i'm there are some moments where I, where I've been in it and I've been, you know, really positively in one direction, you know what I mean? And, and not necessarily completely in analyzing every piece of it. But I think part of, again, of my personality is just to like second guess and pick apart. So I have to remind myself constantly to be like, just move with it, go with it, you know? But I think when I'm on my bike, I, there is this moment, like I'm never like when I'm climbing or, you know, when I, when it gets super hard, like, you know, for a little while, my mind is kind of like, just stop, take a break, drink some water. And if I'm able to get over that, it's just like, I feel like I can go forever, you know, and I'm just like in it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's, and that's why you do it. That's why. You yeah. Well, it's great. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's such a cool thing about athletics and different 
things is like you just get out of your mind and into your body yeah totally yeah which is so hard for me to do generally like I mean I go to I go to therapy and we talk about that specific thing a lot actually because like I have a really hard time being hyper present and I think sometimes and so um so yeah I mean that cycling and just pushing myself to that limit I think gets me gets me to that point which is nice yeah I mean I think that that's one thing about humans in general is as kids we're basically always present we're always in flow with what's going on right there right now that's in front of us and then um and as kids we're just playing all the time we're playing with friends and siblings and we're doing stuff and it's just like activity activity and then as we get older we're like trained into like cognitive thought patterns and like analyzation and breaking things down and uh school you know you just get more and more into that and then um and i feel like that's a big issue with adults is that a lot of people don't have their way of getting into flow and yeah yeah it can lead to depression and anxiety and all these things that are like an overactive mind, either connecting with the past or the future, neither of which truly exists. Totally. That's one beautiful thing about like us getting a dog has really gotten me out of my head. Yeah, sure. Like she's in flow state all the time. And so in, in order to connect with her effectively, I need to play like a dog you know yeah yeah that's interesting like when you talk about kids too and being in that state like uh our like at work we always talk about like one of our major like there's principles you know we have like this corporate strategy as much as um we can but um one of the principles is this like idea of always asking why and staying curious and so like uh our ceo talks a lot about kids and how, and he really encourages all of us to kind of, you know, the, the, to, to approach problems almost the way a child would in a lot of ways, because there is this level of curiosity. They approach it without any sort of preconceived idea of what it should be. Yeah. Um, which I think relates to this idea of flow, but regardless, I think it's really interesting because you know, we all do. And that goes back to that original conversation I was having about like us working with the mechanical engineers, you know, they're challenging us to look at it from that different perspective. And we're challenging them to do the same to like, sort of forget about what it has been and what it looked like before and what it could be kind of thing. Yeah, totally. And seeing it from a, a broader perspective, like kids don't get lost in the weeds. They're not interested in exactly how this thing is going to interface with that. They're just like, well, why don't you do that? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why not? Maybe we should just do that. What if? And then you start to like bring in your adult mind, and then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, we work this way. Um, what would be your advice to aspiring creatives of all kinds? I think I remember what I said last time and I would say the same thing is just like, don't like try to, again, I think it goes back to what I was just saying about like approach a problem like a kid would, you know what I mean? Like don't, 
uh, like try and forget about preconceived notions and like when people try and tell you like it it should be done this way it has to be done this way this is the way that it's always been done like kind of you know don't always take that you know what I mean dive into it evaluate it a little bit more and like I think what I said last time was like like fuck them or something and it was like like do your thing, you know? Um, yeah, and and take it as far as you can, but with respect, I guess. With respect. <laughs> yeah. All right. So don't talk, say fuck. Fuck them, but with respect. Yeah. <laughs> Good, Justin. Justin yeah. Ackerman, folks. Justin Ackerman. <laughs> That's me. All right. Um, now you already for sure. I didn't listen to the last part of the podcast um, when I went through it yesterday, so I missed that I asked you that already. Um, but I the, think you asked me that. Yeah. Yeah, I probably asked some version of it for sure. Uh, but then, like the last question, you definitely answered before, but I want to see if you answer it the same. And that's what's your definition of art? Oh. Uh... Like right now in this oh, yeah. moment. Oh yeah. Art? I think it's just expression and like, I, I don't think it has to be any kind of expression. Um, I mean, it could be words, it could, you know what I mean? It is words, it is the way you move, the way you, you know, how you interact. I don't think, I don't think there's a, I think expression would be the best, like how you express yourself, how, you know, how, I don't know. No, that's, that's really the best I can get right now. <laughs> I really like that. And I, I think the, uh, I like that you said how you move because I think a common thought of what art is, is it's something that has like a record left behind, which is yeah. like a painting or a building or something like that. But like, just, I mean, dance is 100% an art. And yeah, you know, just like say like how you move, like a person, like bring back the word elegance, you know, like a person moving in a certain way, like movement through space is basically like trying to figure out your parameters and that's getting from here to there and you can't go outside of that and that, what's the best way? And like you move from here to there with like an elegance, that's like yeah. 100% art. And the more people like subscribe to that and dive into that in themselves, the more like they themselves become this like walking, living, breathing piece of art. Because everybody is, right? I mean, that's cheesy, but like, you know, everybody has their own. I'm like, art should never be recreated or copied or, you know, I mean, so you move differently than I move in. I don't know. Yeah. I like that. I when like I don't know when when I was when you were just talking about movement, I was thinking about performance art just a little bit. And this is kind of random, but have you ever I read this biograph biography of Marina Abramovich? Do you know who that is? Yeah, oh yeah. It was insane. But really? her work, like so many people would think that would not consider that art. I mean, it's shocking. It's like it's it's pretty intense, but it, her it's a really an interesting book she's a really 
fascinating human being actually yeah she's great um yeah she's like talk about that edge condition she is like the oh. condition of art in general yes yeah that's awesome um nice all right well uh yeah that was it i definitely appreciate you justin Eckert, yeah one of my besties in the world yeah you too taylor um, yeah you're a great human being you're you you're Thanks. coming along in your life and uh making moves yeah cool. really exciting we're all growing god damn right here we are <laughs> we are um all right and then uh yeah you already mentioned people can say hi on instagram to you uh, yeah uh, what was your instagram handle again it's uh m-o-o-m-p-t-e what a great name that's followed you through life <laughs> uh, okay cool well then um yeah this is the end of part one you got any wisdom to give to the people any last piece of wisdom for part one i don't think so i mean <laughs> i don't think so you got nothing i don't know once that's all the wisdom i've got i guess Man, I think you gave that same bullshit answer at the last time. Probably. <laughs> so we're going to play again right you after. You can put this. me on the spot like that. I love it. That's how I roll. Um, okay, cool. Well, we're going to take a break and then we'll come back with part two. Okay. Again, this podcast is brought to you by High Ground Coffee, an adventure coffee brand with a new twist on brewing coffee, wherein you steep coffee like it's a tea. You just drop a packet in hot water and you go. It's the newest way to brew coffee and it's awesome. Use coupon code TAYLOR at checkout for 15% off. Visit them at myadventurecoffee.com. That's myadventurecoffee.com. And we're back. All right, Justin, you got a glass of water? Yep. Okay, I did too. Uh, we're ready to go. Now, what do you want to talk about for part two? Oh man, uh, I don't know what what uh, what's going on. I mean, how how have you been? I guess <laughs> sounds like you've got an adventure coming up. Yeah, definitely. Haley and I are gonna go on this little road trip uh, up to Big Sur and travel around a little bit. Were you in Steamboat recently? Mm, not. I was there for Christmas. Christmas time, yeah, I went back. Oh, okay, yeah. Which was weird. Weird weird to travel to different places right now. I drove back, which was like really intense by myself. And then, yeah, I don't know. Didn't, didn't really stop along the way. And then my dad's been really strict with COVID. So like I had to like kind of quarantine. I had to get all these tests. And then he let me into his house. Yep, totally. Which was great but but yeah it was nice to it was really nice to see family so yeah 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 we're excited for this little trip we're gonna go camping a little bit um it's just so nice to be like out in nature especially oh yeah we've all gained a very large appreciation for nature by being like cooped up in places yeah. you live in a city i live in like a small little city um like the COVID I think everybody's gained an appreciation for it, judging by how many people are in parks these days. Yep. 
Yeah, it'll be cool to see those metrics of like how many oh, man. more parks passes and visitors and things like that have happened this year or in the next coming years. Yeah, we. I was in uh, John, the the guy that I've been dating. He uh, and I went camping in Joshua Tree a few weeks back, and it was just like a zoo. I've never seen that many cars there. It was so insane. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll bet. What a cool spot. Super cool. I love it there. I would go there every weekend if I could. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's such like, and the little town is so weird and it's just, I love it. Yeah. One thing about out here in Southern California is that we're so close to the desert. Yeah. And, you know, down here we have like Anza Borrego and all these like cool little desert area, Palm Desert. And uh, it's just like a different lifestyle and it's because of the way that heat and water work in the desert it's like people live their lives differently their homes are designed differently it's like it's so cool i would love to like build a house there so yeah yeah it's all about light and water conserving resources yeah as much as possible just like a cactus like we were just talking about we we're just talking about cactus totally, totally. <laughs> Yeah, it's neat. And like one thing that I tell people about San Diego that most people don't realize is that it's not Hawaii. It's not, it's basically like the desert on the ocean. It's yeah. not, it's not tropical here. Like we have yeah. countries, but it's not, it's definitely not like tropical like Hawaii or like some places in Latin America, Costa Rica, like that's a whole completely different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and palm trees aren't even native to California, right? No, I don't think they are. So I think they were imported. Yep. I don't know about Southern California. I know for sure San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. No, and that was a big thing about uh, like, okay, in Oceanside, California here, um, the town to the north of where I live, there's like down the entire 101, they have these like 60 foot tall, really skinny palm trees. It's kind of like classic California. And those were all just planted there, you know, in the 50s. Yeah. And now they're these giant things that are just like so iconic for the West Coast, but really like they're not even from here. No, yeah. Um, wait, have you been to Salton Sea? No. Speaking but of the desert. But yeah, I want to go. We've, we've had Me our too. eyes on that for a while. Tell people about I it. I don't know. What's that? Tell people about it a little bit. Oh, I don't know too much about it, but I, what I've heard is that it was like a, it was like a destination for like the LA, like elite, like in the fifties, right? There was like a whole, there was a lake. Uh, there is a lake, I guess, but there was a whole community of resorts out there and everything. Yep. And I'm not sure what happened, but I don't know if the lake dried up or what happened, but everybody just stopped going. So it's like, just like this sad, like collection of old ruins. And somebody was saying there's like dead fish on the beaches, like seagulls, and it's just really dark, but really interesting. Yeah, yeah. You want to see some like sort of desolate, like wasteland of wasteland. a Yeah, there's a, on the drive from LA or, or San Diego to Vegas, there's a couple of towns 
on the way out that are just like same vibe like there used to be people there and now it's just a ghost town and everything just looks like desolate and dead and like um and once you go to those places you like it, it reminds me of all the movies that have been shot in these locations that have like that same theme and it's cool when you move out here and you live out here you start to like look at movies and productions and you're like oh that's where they did that you know? totally <laughs> like all the time every time i'm anywhere in la i'm like oh oh wow it's right there <laughs> yeah i just saw that last week and so and so yep um are you gonna do you think you'll stay is california your like final stop do you think do you think you'll ever go back to colorado um i doubt we'll go back to colorado so i have Haley, my partner, and she has a very different vision than I do of like the ideal place to live. She just got to go on a trip to Guatemala for- Oh, my brother. Uh, here, go ahead. I'll let you finish. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt. Yeah, she was there for a month and she absolutely loved it. She was, um, she has a chocolate business and she was like talking to chocolate growers and like cacao growers and all these things. and she really loves it there she's from vermont she's like really needs the trees and forests that's like her happy place and um so we're like kind of figuring out the best way to live our lives where it works for both of us and it's such a give and take because neither of us have like traditional lives in terms of like a, a normal job so we can kind of do whatever and uh, we've got friends that live in Mendocino that have some land that we like are playing with the idea of uh, like building a cabin on their land and living there. And then like um, a lot of my work comes from online. So I'm like really developing that element and then going in like, you know, setting up the murals online and then coordinating it so that I go and like knock them out over a month or something. And then yeah, just, like live off the grid. And I then, love Mendocino. Uh, oh yeah it's so amazingly gorgeous beautiful the redwoods there and everything oh. like, if people haven't like, experienced the redwood forests they're missing out on yeah like, or just mendocino like the coastline there is so oh. incredible it's so like i feel like it's really northern california but like the, i lived in san francisco for 13 years and i never went to mendocino until i moved down here and then i went up there for a wedding and it was really incredible oh yeah oh yeah it's so rugged and big and yeah. badass and it's it's really cool the west coast of the united states is just like epic in all these different ways yeah. um you know my brother is married now did you oh, yeah. yeah but he married a guatemalan that he met abroad somewhere not sure where they met exactly, but she's awesome. But so they own an apartment in Guatemala City and then they, well, they haven't been able to be back and forth because the Trump administration is horrific. And like, it's been really difficult even though they're like legally married for her to get her like official green card and paperwork. And I guess there's like complications if she comes to visit now that she's married that like, it makes it more difficult or she can't. Um, but anyway, so she hasn't been up here for a while, but uh, he's been going down there a bunch and we, you know, their wedding was supposed to be last April, their like party down there. And then they pushed it to this April 
And then now it's being pushed again to like January, I think. Yeah. But so I haven't been able to go, but I really wanted to go. It looks super beautiful. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And I'm excited to, I'm really happy that Haley's like falling in love with it there because um, she doesn't speak Spanish, but now she's she's interested in it because it could really like help her life work in different ways. And I'm pumped on it because then I'll like get a little Spanish speaking buddy out of it. And then we can go to places like that. Um, I love places like that, like Costa Rica, Guatemala, um, like the Yucatan in Mexico. It's like so beautiful, so like tropical with the trees and the forests and people are all just like so friendly. Everyone that I've met in any of those places is just like the salt of the earth, sweetest people. Yeah, I love the Yucatan too. I've never been to, I've never been to Guatemala or Costa Rica, but my mom has that, she has that place in Cozumel. So we like spend a lot of time. Yeah, you and I have uh, done some partying in Cozumel. Oh, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) You were down there with your mom. I was down there with my family. Mm -hmm. It was like, there was one night where I don't know how the hell we made it back to the hotel. It was like, we were well, yeah, I'm amazed I didn't drown in the ocean. Totally. So that's good. <laughs> and like, we rode a ferry. That was a blow. I think you got propositions on the ferry. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, that was good. Uh, yeah, life, man. <laughs> good time. That was really fun. It's a different trip for me down there now, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm usually in bed by like maybe 9.30. Right, right. We are not the same people as we were in college. That's for sure. I mean, sometimes, but no. Eventually, every once in a while, you got to bring that out. Put that hat back in the right role. Yeah. Speaking of college, that was a lot of fun. Fort Collins was great. I I was looking at, wait, what were you going to say? Sorry. Oh, I was just, I ended up staying in Fort Collins for another like, four years because it was so much fun there and it's just such a great little little yeah I had to that was a tough moment for me dude you had yeah I had to get out yeah you had a rough time there Mm -hmm. I mean it was great but yeah it was a it was just a weird moment in my life yeah transition transitions yeah into Justin 2.0 and and I mean yeah. as fun as it is there it's very uh it's like sort of set up as like a heterosexual place mm. for say. sure there was one do you remember there was one gay bar that was like I think when we were there it was like on the outskirts of town in a double wide trailer like it was so sad yeah uh yeah yeah it was definitely not um just not like open to what was going on. Yeah, and just, a, it was a different time too, I think, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's a different place now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So, yeah, who knows? Hmm. I haven't, have you been back in a while to Fort Oh my God, no, I haven't been. It's been a really long time, probably over a decade, maybe a decade, maybe. Yeah. 
maybe I went back twice when I, after I moved to California, because I think we still had like, I think Brooke was still living there for a while. And Holly, do you remember Holly Lindquist? Yeah. Oh yeah. She, yeah, she lived in San Francisco for a while while I was there. So we got to like hang. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a common thing for people who come out to leave their small town and go to big cities. Big cities are just so much um, more open. And yeah, yeah. And I think it creates big pockets of culture where you can feel comfortable and like accepted. Is that? I think so. I, I always had a hard time in San Francisco though, because I mean, in my head, there was this like culture that I wasn't a part of. Like all my friends were pretty much lesbians like and then like with some straight people sprinkled in there and maybe a gay or two gay guy or two but like um yeah so i the like the culture can be a little overwhelming i think sometimes for some people like i didn't really lean into it i don't think uh it it wasn't really me you know but in that like it's it's like so full on that it's like, mo- I guess my my interpretation of it would be that there are places and pockets of the area of the city where it's like, it's full on. And so then if you aren't all the way, like all the way out and maybe would I say like, like flamboyantly expressing yourself, then you wouldn't, would you almost feel like you're not gay enough? Yeah. Yeah, I think like sometimes in my own, like I created scenarios almost where I was like, oh my God, like this, I'm not like, cause there's, you know, there's the culture that's very much in your face that like, like the bar scene, you know what I mean? And, but that's not everybody, you know? And that, that wasn't, I don't think me, like I like going to the bars, I like partying, I liked, but it wasn't like, I never like, I don't think, I don't know how to say it, but, but yeah, it was, it was too much for me a little bit. You know, I I couldn't see myself meeting somebody that I wanted to be with there. You know what I mean? So, um, but, but so then like, because that was like the most visible part of the community, I feel like for me, at least I, I just assumed that that was sort of the community, but that's not the truth. You know, there's, every kind of person, really. you know what I mean? There's like, I don't know. No, that's, I think that that right there is like, a, is a really beautiful thing for us to all acknowledge is that it's not like binary. It's not, yeah. it's not either you're in this crowd or you're in that crowd. It's like, actually all crowds have nuances and different like spectrums and flavors of personalities and what people are into and just because you're gay doesn't mean that you're like over here and this is how you are or if you're that you're over here and this is how you are there's actually like so much like gray area like everything is a gray area and every human is unique and there's different people are different you know like a gay person here might resonate really well with a, a straight person here on these certain topics and vibes and situations. Yeah. And like for you to be 
sort of like in a, in the feeling like you're in the out crowd uh not out like out as in gay but like <laughs> not in the in crowd in fort collins and <laughs> like, also when you go to for uh, to san francisco you didn't quite feel like you fit into that scene either like you're it's like it just shows you that there's so much nuance to everybody totally yeah and like you don't have to fit into that scene you know <laughs> like there's a lot of pressure to do that and um it was a like definitely issue for me you know feeling like uh yeah i had to sort of fit that mold a little bit but um but also i think like you were saying earlier about like people like a lot of gay people sort of leaving their small towns to go to cities i want i'm I feel like things are changing from when we were kids too a little bit and I don't necessarily I feel like there's you can find your people in your community now you know like almost I mean like with technology like Grindr I mean you don't have to hook up with everybody that you meet on it but you're able to kind of identify people you know in yep. your same position in the same area whereas before it was like always guessing everybody was like in the closet when we were when I was that age and yeah yeah I mean I've heard statistics that like one in ten people are gay yeah and so if you look at that over like you know Fort Collins has a hundred thousand people in it like that's ten thousand there were a lot of yeah There's I just remember yeah I remember being at the gay bar in Denver and like seeing people that I was like, oh, you were, you're gay. <laughs> like there were a few guys I remember seeing and I forget their names now, but they were in that fraternity that we were in. Yeah. That I remember seeing and I was like, huh, okay. Makes sense. <laughs> yep. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a wild world. Yeah. Do you uh, do you have any thing, any like ideas that you want to talk about? Any like questions you want to throw out there for the podcast? Um, I don't think so. You don't like being put on the spot. No, clearly, clearly that's not like. No, it's really, but it's been great. It has been great. Definitely. Appreciate you being on. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tay. Cheers. So Justin and I actually did this interview twice. One time we did it last year, but there were some editing difficulties and things didn't end up working out to where I could publish it. But there were some really cool parts from it. And there's this one section that I'd love for you to hear. Um, it's about him talking about his process of coming out of the closet and the challenges he faced, the just the, kind of the nuances. So um, we're just throwing this in here at the end for you as a little bonus. Um, yeah, enjoy. Um, well, why don't you uh, dive into the? Uh, I'm. I'd love to get you talking on this. Like, dive into the art of coming out. Oh, sure. I mean, I wouldn't call the way that I came out much of an art. Uh, <laughs> it was very clumsy. 
And I wish, I, I don't wish I did it differently. I'm glad I did it the way I did it, but you were like the first person to know. Um, I think you and Brooke Caesar, throwback. Um, yeah, what up Brooke? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then it slowly, you know, I can't, I wasn't comfortable with it. Like there was nothing in my past. My parents are amazing, you know, like they've never, they never like, I, I don't know what it was that held me back for so long. I'm really kind of bummed. I looked at, I look at kids now and I see like some of my friends' kids who are like going to high school and they're like, they have like these really open conversations with their parents and with the school and their classmates. And like, it's not like it was in the nineties, I think to be gay, you know? Um, so there's a lot of me that like wishes that was sort of the way it was. And I, I didn't need to come out, you know, it's kind of, um, it's kind of a bummer that that's the way it was. But anyway, going back to my parents, they never sort of, you know, they, they're not homophobic. They never really were, you know, they are completely supportive of everything. Um, but I was terrified to come out to them. And, and um, I ended up, I bought a new car when I graduated college and I drove up and drove my mom in it. And then I like, I like, was planning on telling her the whole drive and I waited till like the last minute and then like kicked her out of my car and drove back to Denver. <laughs> and it was like, it was, <laughs> it was so hard, you know, but, um, but I first came out as like, bye, you know, cause I just wasn't comfortable with it. Like the thought of two men together was really hard for me to even comprehend. Like I had never really been around it much as a kid. Um, and then I just knew though that that was who I was and how I was and um, who I am, you know? And uh, so it's something I've known since, you know, I was very, very young, um, but something that I couldn't come to terms with. And it's taken, I mean, I'm 38 years old now and I'm still dealing with it, you know? So I, um, it's just a, it's tough. It's like these things that are ingrained in you as a kid, you know, have impacts throughout your whole life and uh, that you deal with. And, and I, you know, I, I feel more proud today than I probably have ever. I feel more comfortable with who I am. I think, I think even through this isolation, I've gotten to know more about myself. Um, and I feel like I'm, I'm finally like there, but, but yeah, uh, I don't think there is an art of coming out. <laughs> I think it um, mm-hmm. um, it just kind of happens and it's something that you need to do and that, um, you know, hopefully we won't have to do much longer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the biggest challenge would be like the breakdown yeah. of your identity. It's like, complete breakdown and shift of your identity and um yeah like fear of mm-hmm. of all sorts of things yeah. right judgment and um mm-hmm. loss of situations Completely. yeah i mean i was i was really lucky i think you know i didn't really lose anything when i came out i only gained you know but a lot of people do um but i think that uh 
Oh, I had something really good to say, but I forgot what it was. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. It's, oh, um, what I was going to say was like, what I think was the hardest thing is like, for 21 years, 23 years, probably, I was, I wasn't living who I was, you know? And so I had this whole other person yeah. inside of me that I had been hiding for like, for that long. That's a long time. Like, it's hard to erase that um, and to fully come out and be who you are. And so, yeah, it's difficult. Without, without, I mean, I don't expect you to go into <laughs> any details that you don't feel like, but like, what is like in general what's the process after you come out i mean is there you know because you go from this like living two lives to now you're basically just like saying like saying to the world that that me is not actually me this is me so then you're like one unified person is there like i mean is, is that stuff that you i mean i'm sure that's stuff totally. that you work with through with a therapist and like yeah you know yeah. like a lot of inner yeah work i mean i've been seeing there, my right? therapist now since like 2013 i think um and we're still working on that you know there's still a part of me that like is not fully out you know what i mean like i mean i'm out like as a gay man i'm out but like um like uh I still hold a lot back and I still like the way I treat my relationships a lot of times is at arm's length, you know, uh, there's like few people that I think are fully, you know, that I'm fully myself with, you know, and I think that that's a product of me for so many years. It's not like, it's not about those people. It's about me and like, um, uh, like feeling comfortable with enough with myself to do that. You know what I mean? Like, um, I don't know. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Well, yeah. And it's, it, it's wild. I mean, I've known you for so long, you know, and I think of it sort of as like Justin one and Justin <laughs> 2.0 and, um, and it's great because like you're the same exact person. You're just like you now. Like you're you're like you with this extra like flair and pizzazz and I mean and, and it's cool, like extra confidence and you're you're like the you're like you're mm -hmm. you now. And there was always something before where it was like you weren't quite comfortable no, in your completely. own skin. And and now looking back on it, like that makes totally complete sense. I mean I look at old photos and like I don't know like I was always wearing a hat like <laughs> I don't know I was like uh yeah from college I was just definitely like I wasn't the most healthy person you know I was like it was there was definitely like it was eating away at me you know and I can see it in those photos and I can see it in like photos of me as a kid sometimes you know too and I don't know but it's interesting like my relationships with people have gotten so much more deep like people I've known since childhood and college you know that I knew through that process that period of time like personally I feel like I shared something with you guys that like uh like bonds us together forever you know it's almost like going through trauma for me personally um I don't know yeah 
kind of interesting. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I think well, you're thanks. a fantastic human, <laughs> and I love the thanks. version that you are. And yeah, I loved you before too. But it's it's great. It's just great to have you be this version yeah. of you now. And um, it's really it's, nice. It's definitely to see. like a work in progress. You know, I think everybody is. And uh, that's just my work. <laughs> so that was Justin Ackerman, my friends. Thanks for listening and following along. That was a great little set of interviews and it was really cool to do the same interview twice but then get like totally different elements from them um yeah and so i hope that you got a lot out of both parts of it that second part i just feel like it it shows a ton of courage um for what justin has gone through in his life and on his life path and maybe you can take that and uh turn it into some courage of your own that's, that's what this is all about. That's what these podcasts are all about, is uh, inspiring us to do what we do and uh, do it even better. So, yeah, share this out with anyone that you think might be uh, you know, positively affected by this whole thing. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.